This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to episode number six of Hitting the Mark. Today, we're fortunate to have a conversation with someone who does not fit into the founder nor the investor category. Why? Because he is both. And I promise you, this will be an episode that every brand builder, made it be an entrepreneur or a marketer, should listen to. Mark Tillman is an entrepreneur who is dedicated to both relaunching iconic dormant brands as well as investing in early-stage consumer packaged goods companies focused on better-for-you products. His fund, Spiral Sun Ventures, and his brand revitalization company, Dormitus Brands, are currently collaborating on reinventing the soda brand Slice as a better-for-you beverage. That being said, welcome, Mark. Thank you very much. So, Mark, I read about you um, in Entrepreneur Magazine. I think it was the latest issue. And I was fascinated by what you're doing. So the, the headline in the magazine read, Remember Sly Soda? It's back, but very different. Why these entrepreneurs bet on nostalgia for the old soda brand? So interesting, interestingly enough, I released a book last year that talks about several traits that I suggest today's companies to own in order to turn into an admired brand. And heritage is one of them, which is a very close neighbor to nostalgia. And, uh, and, and tell us that the strategy behind that move. I mean, how, how did it come about, you know, where you are currently at with bringing this, you know, I guess it's a Pepsi-Cola, you know, brand from the 90s. How, where are you at with bringing that back in, in a whole new light? That's uh, a great question. I'm, I'm very passionate about brands and history and uh, Dormitus Brands and prior to that River West Brands, which is uh, owned by Dormitus Brands, uh, would look at, at relaunching you know, iconic brands in certain categories. And whenever I look at brands, you know, you know, there's a part of me that is always trying to figure out ways to make it, uh, give it a new reason to believe and make it new and different and innovative. Um, so with Slice in particular, um, and because of the fact that I invest in the health and wellness category with Spiral Sun Ventures, we saw a formerly, um, you know, a brand that was quite significant, not only in the U.S., but globally. It's still one of the larger brands in India, frankly, today, where PepsiCo owns, owns that brand. Um, but I see a category that's very, very significant from a, from a revenue standpoint. Uh, in certain categories where private labels very small, that get, it's a great indicator for whether or not a brand matters in that category. So, you know, soda in, per, in particular, beverage in particular, is very much a lifestyle and people identify by what they're drinking. Um, so when we looked at Slice, and I, I, I required the rights to Slice with my partner, who was a former trademark litigator, and we uh, ended up getting the rights to Slice in both uh, in North America, where in um, in the U.S. and Canada, and we are in the process of launching the brand. We'll have product with the next probably in the next 45 days. Our first 
significant run is going to happen. And we have about 2,000 grocery doors committed to it already without actually having the product uh, bottled um, or canned. Um, but the whole idea is when I looked at the soda category and I saw that people were, you know, it was a category that was declining and the natural uh, part of the beverage category was actually rising, I said to myself, well, people really need something that may be a little sweeter than than sparkling water, uh, but not as sugary as the slice of of the 1980s and 90s and 2000s. Um, so Slice was really created to be a bridge for people that are no longer wanting the sugary uh, drinks like soda and giving them something that's all natural, that has uh, no sugar added, that's seven grams of sugar that comes from organic juice, and otherwise it's completely you know, just uh, natural uh, juice as well as uh, sparkling water. So it's, a, it, it's sweeter than a LaCroix, for example, but much healthier than a traditional soda. So that that's fascinating to me, and and that, so you know it's it's a strategy that caught wider attention after Shinola famously took its name from from mm -hmm. a defunct shoe polish brand, right? And then I think in 2011 they launched as as a, as the Detroit watch brand. At least then they were the watch brand. Now there's so much more, but. How do you change the brand narrative with a legacy name? I mean, especially in your case with Slice, where it, it, it is basically the opposite of what it used to be. So how, how do you do that from a, from a brand language perspective? How do you suddenly say, here's Slice, you know, we want you to still associate it with the old brand, but in a very, very different way? You know, it's that's the trick. You know, that is uh, that is the difficult part. You have the the old attributes and the, what people remember of Slice. But I, I think it's very important that regardless of the brand, the product has to be right and the, and the data has to support the product launch. You know, taking Slice and reinventing it, you know, primarily for a new consumer and also for consumers that had previously uh, been dedicated to the beverage, um, you know, th that is a tricky, tricky thing to do to reinvent. But it's no different than buying a, a house from the turn of the century and keeping the exterior but modernizing the interior. And, you know, people would rather live in a house that was built in the 18, late 1800s because of the beauty and the way it was built. But, you know, in, inside and for the family that's living in that house, you want the modern accessories and conveniences that come with a house that was built in two, 2018 or 2019. And so that's really what I try to do with a brand is play off the heritage, but more importantly, reinvent it in a way that it appeals to not only the old consumer that is no longer drinking those, those sugary beverages, but also appeal to you know the new demographic, the millennials, et cetera, that you know that don't want a lot of sugar in their drinks. So you have to look at the data. The data has to support the relaunch, but you, without question, you have to reinvent. And you know, I'm thinking this is going to be a successful relaunch, but sometimes they're not, and for the very reasons why you uh, you asked the question. 
My guess is the data is there to support a successful launch. The retailers are there to support the launch. And hopefully the consumers will be there to drink the new slice. Right, absolutely. And, and last but not least, the, the, the design um, is so important with consumer packaged goods. Um, how involved were you with the design agency, with the process of, you know, do, you know from, from the font choice to like how much of the boldness of the old slice do we bring into the new and how, how should the shelf, shelf appeal be? Did you, did you work very directly? Were you very hands-on involved with it um, in, in meetings and in strategy or did you let them run their thing? You know, we were very involved as a team. Uh, we have a group that comes from a pretty deep-rooted experience within retail, a group called Revolution Brands that's doing a lot of the, the R&D as well as the um, – you know, the, the packaging work, et cetera. Um, but we, we not only used our internal team, we did focus groups and we also used the retailers to help us, you know, you know, to, to help us with whether or not, you know, what, you know, the packaging actually appealed to their consumers. And so we, we, we really drew upon the entire community within, you know, Slice, including our initial launch partners at Grocery, to determine what, you know, what we thought was the right packaging. And we did a lot of consumer research. And we looked at also what the competitors were doing. And uh, frankly, uh, that took a very, very long time. Um, most people don't realize that there's a shortage of, uh, of uh, cans out there, aluminum cans out there. So, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, because the big companies are take are, are utilizing all of the all the capacity. <laughs> wow! So you you have to pivot when when you see there's a shortage of slim cans, you move to a a more conventional can. But the packaging itself was a collaborative effort, and I was very much involved, and so were all my partners. Interesting. How when when you go through that entire process, and it sounds like it was quite a process. I mean, there were so many data points, so many opinions that you sought from from different partners, from uh, from retail, etc. How much of of the old brand was still intact, or or how much of the old brand were you even allowed, you know, to to to, to utilize? You know, I know there was litigation. Mm -hmm. and I know you got the name. Mm -hmm. um, is is there in the end? Is there anything left besides the name? Uh, there's a, you know, a nod and a wink to the heritage of the brand with the slice uh, from the the fruit that's still on the packaging. So there's, there's, you know, there's a tribute there, but it's not obviously it, it couldn't be identical to what the old slice looked like. But the name itself is a great name on its own, Absolutely. regardless of the heritage of the brand, and it it denotes exactly what we're trying to convey with the new new beverage. Um, and we've protected it vigorously since we have been able to attain the trademarks. There, are no, there have been a number of companies that have tried to uh, file trademarks uh, to use the slice name and various variations within beverage. And the great thing about having a fantastic trademark litigator as one of your partners uh, <laughs> is that <laughs> that he's very good at what he does in protecting the trademark, and and also he was very important, obviously, in attaining it in the first place. Let's let's talk about um, this this often mistaken but yet so important to you word that is branding. Like, what does? What does branding mean to you? It, it obviously means a huge deal to you, but but what? How would you describe branding? I know this is it's a very difficult question, but like, 
how would you describe branding? What, what, what does it mean to you? You know, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And if you were to ask me, you know, when I was solely doing the relaunching of iconic brands, I may have had a different answer. And that answer was, was probably more about restoring and revitalizing those types of adjectives to describe what branding was. Today, in working with, you know, these early stage companies that we invest in that are primarily in health and wellness, but primarily in food and beverage, um, I often think about, uh, about community in neighborhood. And, you know, there was an old, uh, the old speaker of the house in, uh, in the 80s was a guy named Tip O'Neill from my neck of the woods originally. I'm from Boston. <clears throat> and he became famous because he had the, the quote, you know, all politics is local. And I believe branding and building a brand is the same thing. You first want to own your community and your neighborhood. And then word of mouth spreads when you have a great product. You know, it's so important to build from a foundation or a community. If it's, you know, we have a, we have a brand that we invested in called Base Culture. Uh, the founders, uh, a young woman, incredible entrepreneur named Jordan, and, you know, she was a CrossFitter. And that CrossFitter community started to really engage with her brand of gluten-free paleo products. And, you know, that community is the one that goes to Walmart, goes to Whole Foods, goes to Publix, and goes to the HEB, goes to all these retailers to find her product and create some movement. So to me, branding is about community and about, about creating a movement. And once you can do that and you have the foundation, you can become a great big brand. But you need that foundation first. Right. Absolutely. I, I think that's a very fresh take on it. There's a, a quick personal story here. So my, my dad is a violinist. And in his prime time, he worked uh, on some of the biggest stages in the world, right? Carnegie Hall and Musikverein in Vienna and, and all of those. And one day when he came back from a tour in Japan, he brought home this tiny but mighty super high-end tape recorder by a company called Iwa. And it was a marvel of technology and quality. It was so tiny that he used it to secretly record all of his solo concerts on stage because he could just sneak it in there that no one saw it. And, and then at home, us kids were just not allowed to ever go near it because it was, it was so expensive and no one could ever touch it. Um, and you actually owned Iowa at one point. And, and to me, that is just truly amazing. How, how, did that, how did that come about? I know that this is not the main uh, topic today, but I just want to quickly ask you, how did that deal come, come about? Yeah, it, it actually goes into the bigger question of how, how you, you relaunch a dormant brand. And it, it really is about surrounding yourself by talented people. You know, even if it's a relationship with a, you know, grocer with a distributor or with a team. It's about not only investment capital, but human capital. <clears throat> In Iowa, we, I was able to, to, to get the trademark rights here in the United States first. And then I found a very entrepreneurial group that had a incredible background in consumer electronics The company was called Hale electronics. <clears throat> and the entrepreneur is a guy named Joe, Born, who was a fantastic inventor and engineer, uh, he actually invented something called the Skip Doctor, which which fixed uh, scratches and CDs and sold millions of units. And uh, hmm. he had a great small company 
but he didn't have a brand and he had, he was always inventing new audio products. And, you know, I remember going to have a cup of coffee with Joe and saying, Joe, well, why don't we team up? Why don't you rename the company Iowa USA and your reception at retail and on Amazon, et cetera, direct to consumer is going to be very, very different by having a brand with great high end, you know, consumer electronics and consumer audio. And, you know, that's really where Iowa uh, began. I'm still a significant shareholder in the company. I'm still a, uh, you know, I'm still a a board member. I'm still a a big advocate. So uh, the company grew from, you know, was relaunched and grew from zero to a, you know, multi-million dollar company in a very short period of time. Um, But for me, I like to marry these early stage companies with brands, and in particular brands that were once, uh, you know, loved and 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 successful, and then taking new innovation and and, and bringing that to the brand is so vital to make it uh, to make it uh, successful, and uh, that's where my innovation comes from. It generally comes from other people that just don't have the brand to go with great product. It's really brand upcycling you're doing here, yeah. right? You're, um, you're, you're right. <laughs> how did, but how did that f- fascination start? Like, where did that start? Was there a certain moment where, or, or was it just organic that you had one, one opportunity and you thought about it and you tried it out and then it just keep, kept growing into a real habit? You know, it's, it's, for me, it's a, I'm a, I love history. At one point in my career, early on, I taught history. And for me seeing these brands go to the wayside because these big companies would consolidate and it wasn't the brand's fault that they were discontinued. It was generally through acquisition and, you know, Brim Coffee, for example, when General Foods sold to Kraft, all of a sudden Kraft had Sanka and Brim. And so they had to pick and they discontinued Brim. And so when I relaunched Brim, it's a line of, of, uh, not, coffee there's still some coffee but it's primarily a line of appliances but their appliances if you go to brim.com it's not just any old coffee maker it's a uh, coffee pour overs and cold brew machines and grinders it's so things artisanal. that the yeah it's it's artisanal and they're they're things that the new consumers are looking for right with an old brand on it uh, but for me you know it, it is about preservation of history and and I couldn't understand why these great brands of my childhood would go away. And then I started looking at, you know, ways to revitalize them as I was looking at launching new products and new brands. Um, you know, why not take an old brand and reinvent it for a new consumer and giving a, you know, giving a nod to the, to the, uh, to the heritage of the brand. In some cases, it's very, very difficult. You know, I do a, um, I own Coleco and ColecoVision, which is an old gaming brand. Extremely difficult category uh, to create content because it's extremely expensive to create games and ones that actually appeal to my kids, for example, look at the old Coleco catalog and like they play it for like two seconds Mm. and like yeah i'm bored Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um you know that's one where it was more it was probably a better option for me just to license it and it does very well but it's you know it's a coleco vision flashback that sold 
throughout retail and online and you know i get a royalty it's a licensing deal yeah um but it was just too difficult for me to reinvent it in a way that you know because of the category because of the competition because of the amount of investment to make new games it just didn't make as much sense as taking an iowa and reinventing it or taking a slice or taking a brim or taking any of the other brands that are currently in our portfolio so at times i i I basically say, okay, you know, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's so much a timing thing too, right? It's a zeitgeist mm-hmm. thing. You know, I went to a bar the other day and everyone played Nintendo games on big screens, and I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, so I think I think a lot of it has to do with that. But okay, so let's put your investor head on. Um, question about the startups that you invest in. When do you advise your better-for-you consumer product startups to invest in branding? And obviously for them, packaging is super important. But where does it start with you with branding? As an investor, where do you say, look, look, guys and gals, you got to push more into this direction, really think about brand strategy, or really think about positioning, or really, what are some of these key advice pieces that you give brands? Well, it startups. Be, <laughs> well, it has to be early on. And branding has to be authentic. You know, we like, brands where founders are very much value oriented and you know values from their own ethos as as individual entrepreneurs but we like brands that have a mission for example i'll give you a quick story just to illustrate that um, and in a challenge that a brand has so one of the brands that we invested in is called pacha soap and pacha soap is a handmade soap it's it's made in in their own facility in hastings nebraska wonderful wonderful people abby and and Andrew, who are now married, but at the time they were just the two entrepreneurs and they ended up getting married. And, um, you know, the mission-based company, they give back millions of dollars to where they source their essential oils and so forth in Africa. And they teach people, indigenous people in Burundi in particular, how to make soap and how to start businesses around soap. So it's a little different than a Tom's shoes Mm -hmm. where they're instead of just giving away soap, they're actually teaching them how to create new businesses around soap. And they also dig water wells and so forth. So they have incredible passion about the mission, but you know, you probably have never heard of Pacha soap, but I, I guarantee you've seen it before. If you ever, if you've ever been in a whole foods and you see that beautiful, colorful, Yeah, that that's that's Pacha soap. So they have a great product with incredible distribution, but people don't know their brand and people don't know their mission. And once people understand their mission and know what the brand is due to that mission through a branding process, I think they're going to be even more successful than they already are. And the the company is growing like crazy, but they need branding. They mm-hmm. need to really build their brand because these companies, you know, when they sell, it's really, and when they generally sell to the big companies, the big CPG companies, it's all about brand building. And right. Because, you know, the Unilevers, the P&Gs, the, the Crafts, the General Mills of the world know that they can take a $100 million brand and turn it into a billion brand dollar brand because they have the trucks and the distribution necessary to take it from 100 to a billion but they have to see the brand uh, being built the proper way so my suggestion to the pacha soap folks is to really find the right agency find a way to build that community that i talked about earlier and to not only be a product company but 
they need to become a household name. They need to go into points of distribution, which are much more about brand building. Uh, they have very little presence online, for example. They don't, they don't sell a lot on Amazon. So one of the key initiatives today is to build an Amazon site and to be able to go direct to consumer because they also need to know who their consumer is. Right. And they right. need that type of feedback. Right. And Otherwise, so, yeah. yeah, great challenge for the company. I love the investment. I love the mission. I love the people. But they truly need to figure out how to build the brand. Well, the great news is now everyone knows where there is a great brand consultancy, and I'm happy to talk to them. <laughs> yes, I would absolutely love you to do that. But um, this is interesting because it all it all comes back to for you with that particular company. It really came back to the the founders and their their passion to actually really move the needle and do something do something that's bigger than than just the product. I mean, really really touching people, you know, in in many ways where it's not the Tom's model, like you said, but it is really yeah. it, it 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 educates and it it goes down to to the to to the ground level of like let's let's help people become more self self sufficient and 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 grow um i think it's what what are the top criteria when you pick a startup to invest in is it is it obvious it's the team it's the passion is it i mean in this case it's not so much the product it's potentially more market fit like what are the, what are like one or two of the key things that you look for the data has support has to support that there's mm -hmm. white space there i mean there's lots of categories lots of me too brands out there it has to be disruptive it has to be innovative And it has to fill a void. And yes, it's always about the entrepreneur and the founder and making sure they have the right values. And they have to, you know, you're just going to assume that they're going to work their tail off. But most of these brands, you know, early stage brands fail. So a lot of these founders and, and the reason I created uh, Spiral Sun was, was really to help give them the network of, you know, brand agencies, distributors, retailers, Things that maybe they couldn't pick up the phone and call, you know, call the right distributor or call the right you know, grocery store or, you know, they just really needed the, those connections and that network in order to really business. And um, so we're a little different. And the fact you know, that I am an entrepreneur, I'm also the managing director of a fund, it helps because I can understand their plight. Right. Right. And it, for me, it's so gratifying <clears throat> to be able to help them. And also, you know, about six, seven years ago, I, I personally got sick and I started looking at, you know, our our food system being a bit broken. And I became very passionate about making a legacy and not only investing in dormant brands, but investing in better for you food. And so for me, it became a passion to help these entrepreneurs succeed. Um, and so for, for, for my own ethos, you know, I definitely wanted to, you know, to combine my, my love for taking these dormant brands and relaunching them, but also for making them better for you from a, from a food and beverage standpoint. Right. That's, I, I relate to that, uh, quite, quite a lot. Um, Really appreciate it, Mark. Where can others find Slice? What what kind of markets will it be in in a couple of weeks from now? And how can they learn more about Spiral Sun Ventures? Where do you want them to go to get in touch with you? 
Um, they can. I'm, I'm big on answering emails personally, and uh, it's very easy to find me. And you, you, if you don't, if you don't want to use LinkedIn, you're, they certainly can email me, and um, they can they can um, request through you or whatever the case may be. We'll figure that out. But I I, I have no problems uh, uh, answering emails and making sure people know how to get uh, Slice. But Slice will be. Uh, available regionally, you know, the Northeast, the Midwest, really a, a national national footprint. But in in the first year, it's going to be at retailers like Wegmans and and Hy-Vee and and Publix, et cetera, throughout you know throughout the country. So we'll have to figure out in the first year, you know, where people are so they can get it. But we'll also have an e-commerce uh, site, you know, so you can get it through Amazon. So we'll be able to deliver anywhere. Anywhere but India, right? <laughs> <laughs> Can't do India. And that, and, and that uh, would be that would be a second podcast episode where we would talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, the mango flavored slice. There is extremely popular, and um, we we will probably have a mango flavor at some point. There's no no surprise no surprise there when it comes to flavors in countries. So uh, thank you <laughs> thank you, Mark, from the bottom of my heart for for taking the time doing your busy schedule, especially now where you, when you're in this pre-launch phase, and for sharing your thoughts, your stories, your advice with our listeners. It's really really appreciated. Oh, I, I appreciate. It. I I enjoy this, and uh, you know I look forward to uh, doing it again sometime. And I'll put you in touch with uh, the CEO, Pacha. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And, <laughs> and, and thanks, thanks to everyone uh, for listening. And yes, I have to say it again. Please hit that subscribe button and give the show a quick rating. It's a brand new show. It needs all the TLC it can get. And this podcast is brought to you by Finian, a brand consultancy creating strategic, verbal, and visual brand clarity. You can learn more about Finian and download free white papers to support your own brand launch or rebranding efforts at Finian.com. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by happiness one i will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark